Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, and beginning at verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you, yes, you, are our pride and our joy. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had got the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. very much, Julia. Now, my name's John, if you don't know me, and I live just down the road. Um, so it was a bit of a swizz yesterday. I'm kind of, I look down Mid- uh, Ridley Avenue from Midhurst Road, so I kind of feel I am Ridley Road, Ridley Avenue, Ridley Road resident. Um, but I enjoyed it very much indeed. I'm uh, just looking at you, Mark. I thank you very much for this. Apparently, this is your kit I'm using today. Apparently, we get much better sound when we have this particular new headphone on, which is great. Although, when you've heard what I've got to say, you might wish it hadn't worked at all. Um, So I'm John, and um, we are talking at the moment from the first letter of Paul to Thessalonians. And we've heard a few of them, and we are looking at what Paul says in the light of thinking about authenticity, authentic ways of living. Uh, We've spoken about a number of uh, topics today, and to date, my today rather my topic is authentic love, and uh, rather, well, I wonder why they thought I would be a good person to speak about that for starters. My wife Ruth will tell you all about that, no doubt. But one of the things that struck me about it is is that when I was looking at this, I'm thinking, all right, we have a title, we have a text, we are so used, aren't we? As in Christian circles, to subjecting tiny passages of text to the most minute scrutiny. And I, and I often think it's, it's kind of interesting. It would have astonished their authors, I would have thought. Possibly not Jesus, in terms of what he was said. We don't quite what he knew about what people would make of his words many years later. That's a topic for another time. But in terms of letters that were written, they were written from people to people, like you write a letter to people. And Paul was writing letters to his friends in Thessalonica. And this idea somehow of let's just take eight of those verses or whatever it might be and have a look at them, I find quite fascinating. The idea that we would do that when they weren't written, I suspect, in that way. 
subject to what the Holy Spirit intended, that, that this one letter would be divided up into five very definite chapters and 89 very definite verses is kind of fascinating. Not least because this particular letter seems to be an incredibly personal one relative to the other letters we, we can read from Paul. You know, we're quite used, I think, to Paul being a very sort of matter-of-fact guy who's issuing instructions, all very earnest and well-meant and, and, and based on real feeling for the people he's writing to. But three of the five chapters in this short letter, or, which is to say, 60% of the letter that he wrote, the large part of it, the first bit, is mostly about his relationship with the people he was with at the time, um, Silas and Timothy, as he mentions, and also the Thessalonians as well, he having been to Thessalonica before and now being in Athens. And it is a very surprisingly personal one, and I love that, especially in the context of what I've been asked to talk about today, which is this idea of love. We can be very familiar with Paul as an issuer of instructions, I think. Quite a hard guy in certain respects sometimes. Some of the things he has to say, even in this letter, in the latter 40%, um, are quite tricky viewed from certain perspectives they're quite firm and they're quite clear and we might not go with that exactly but the first six minutes is just about him and them just about people and I think it's an excellent uh, text on which to look at this matter of love um, just a couple of things a couple of little snippets from previous parts of the letter to the bit that Julie just read for us just now in chapter 1 verse 9 Paul writes about how other churches in the area Macedonia and around that part of uh, modern Greece have heard about how great and loving and kind and generous a reception those in Thessalonica gave him. So there's obviously some connection there. In other words, you made us feel so welcome. Everybody's heard about it. There's a connection there between those people. And just at the beginning of um, chapter 2, um, verses 7 and 8, Paul uses this phrase about his relationship with uh, those in Thessalonica. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. That's quite a soft turn of phrase, isn't it, for a hard man like Paul? We loved you so much. Now, the problem I have with something like being talking about love is that almost all of you here will have heard talks about love so many times in environments like this, you just think, well... I wonder what new we might hear today. And so, in the context of that, I thought, right, is it, I'm sure people in my position often do. Mark must get this absolutely all the time, because he preaches so often. How can today, today, I say something about such a familiar subject, that in years to come, you will all be thinking, do you know, love. Love. Authentic love. What that John Dale said all those years ago on the Jubilee weekend that defined it for me there was I had nothing more to learn that was something new and fresh that changed my life so I thought that's a tall order I'll set my sights a little lower <laughs> and uh, in doing so I consulted a few um, ancient authorities on this matter of authentic love and I found the following truths Love is a many splendid thing. Uh, love lifts us up where we belong. <laughs> love is like oxygen, and all you need is love. Uh, and even I realized that just looking at my iPod was setting my sights far too low. So I just thought, well, why don't I just read the text and say what I think about it? So that's what you're going to get. 
And having done that, just reading it and thinking and praying, and I just feel that in the context of what Paul was writing and my take on what it means that love should be authentic, it can boil down to, in a phrase, something similar to this, which is that actions speak louder than words. Because um, the thing is, I think, that when all is said and done, as you've probably heard, there's a lot more said than done. And I think that's a real challenge for us as Christians in trying to show authentic love. We can read about it, we can talk about it, but what are we going to do about it? Because love really isn't about words and deeds, and at this point you could show, there could be screens for hours of PowerPoint presentations going through all the love is and things like that. You might have heard of people have said in time, love is this, love is that, or the other. It's really about deeds, not words. And if I might just go back to my iPod for one final time, there's a track on it, I'm afraid, by Simply Red. Um, and it begins with one person saying, I love you, and another person immediately saying, show me. Now, I have to confess that that song isn't really about what we would call authentic love, but nevertheless, I thought the juxtaposition of those two phrases were quite good. I love you, then show me. What does it mean that you might love? If anyone says they love you, for example, how do you know they actually do? How do you know that they actually do love you? In our hunt, therefore, or my hunt this morning for authentic love, isn't it reasonable simply to ask, how will somebody know that I, that we, that you really love them? How will they know? That's what's going to make it authentic, isn't it? How will they know? Will it be by what I say, what you say, or will it be by what I do, what you do? I think this is a, a real challenge for us because one of the greatest and most justified often criticisms of Christians of church has been just this simple phrase, you hypocrites. You say, let me see what you do. Not going to pick on any particular church at a particular time. There's a lot of headlines, aren't there, with people from a church representation saying something and it being so easy for somebody to say, and you do this, you condone that. Actually, even if it's just words, you also say this. There's a real disconnect. You say you love, you say you follow the founder of love, and you do this. There's a real challenge, I think, for all of us in our lives, using a sporting metaphor a time, that we get justly criticized for being good at... We talk a good game. You know, that football thing, I know exactly how it will be that England will win Euro 2012 but unfortunately I won't actually do anything about it. So do we just talk a good game? Now I know we're supposed to be looking at 1 Thessalonians, but I just want to quote first from James's letter. There's only one of them. Um, and it's also five chapters long, interestingly, although as most of you could tell me it's 108 verses, not just 89. Um, and again, it's another letter that James wrote, and he just wrote it. Didn't carve it up. But it's packed with advice. That is a very... I love James, and I think we're, we're talking about the evenings at the moment, Mark, are we? Wonderful letter, because it's packed with advice of how we should live. Packed with it. One of his most famous passages is about faith and works. With James writing at one point in chapter 2, verses 14 and 17, but he just wrote these words. He said, What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action is dead now I go with that I don't know about you it seems a fairly clear statement of 
truth it's what we as people we're talking about authenticity that's kind of right isn't it you say you have faith then you see it so I just want to change two words if that's alright it's actually the same word twice what good is it if someone claims to have love but has no deeds love by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead love really although it's a noun loving is a doing word isn't it that's how you know what we say isn't by any means unimportant it is important what we say but it is by what we do that people will know that what we say is authentic that's we know that don't we and yet we don't act that way at all we somehow think it perhaps just in christian circles that just by repeating stuff quoting from the bible saying what we know we're supposed to say saying the right thing perhaps actually meaning it at the time we're saying it but there's a challenge of then doing it because it involves work sometimes hard work sometimes unpleasant work sometimes just pain in the neck sometimes drudgery I don't know about you but sometimes I think the hardest work is the fairly ordinary thing that just keeps going on we can screw ourselves to the sticking point as Shakespeare once said about a big thing some terrific thing perhaps but it's over and that might sound an amazing act an amazing thing to do but actually is just the regular heartbeat of doing of loving actually more of a challenge for us so just turning specifically to today's reading just want to see what it can shed on our understanding of authentic love as I say I read it in preparing these thoughts and it's as I say principally about Paul's love for the people he's writing to and the people around him at the time just wanted to bring you some highlights of what Julie just read this is what Paul on behalf of himself and Silas and Timothy writes he says we were orphaned by being separated you from you even for a short time what a strong phrase orphan we just felt like you know we were our family had been broken up he says that he that out of his intense longing they made every effort to try and see them now again these are words but just try and put yourself really 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 want to see you we tried every which way Paul refers to the Thessalonians as our hope, our glory, our joy. These are flowery phrases from someone like Paul about people. It's the kind of words you might have expected Paul to use about Jesus. My hope, my glory, my joy. He's using those phrases, those words, for the people in Thessalonica. He says, we could stand it no longer, the being apart. I could stand it no longer, the being apart. He says he was afraid, really afraid for the Thessalonians about not knowing how things were going for them and about how much he longed to see them. I think it's quite funny because we're talking about authentic love, but actually that doesn't sound to me what we are familiar with as being the authentic Paul. As I said before, Paul's quite matter of fact isn't he full of instructions and you should do this do that at least that's how we caricature him often and i love the fact that actually perhaps this is just a fairly rare relatively rare glimpse into how paul actually ticked as a real person 
and obviously you sense a real connection perhaps of this church that a small group of people that you didn't that you don't sense perhaps in some of the other relationships he has and I think there are two things about this passage that helps to show us about Paul the first is that it shows how close that relationship of Paul was with the Thessalonians and it had been developed as we think in just a short time just a quite short time he hadn't been there for long but something had clicked and I think we know that ourselves don't we sometimes that you can develop really close relationships because you just there's something happens you meet somebody and it happens very quickly and you want to see them again and you do and you see them and that might be in a romantic way it might just be in a purely platonic way you just think we get on there's a connection and you really sense that with Paul here in a way that I, that I haven't myself sensed with his relationship with other churches that real sense of, of closeness of just being desperate to be a part of really really wanting to be with them and I suppose the second thing it shows as well in terms of thinking about the words that Paul uses relative to those we're familiar with him using is that we can too readily equate authentic love with authentic, or rather the trappings of romantic love. That somehow love isn't really love and that it's quite soft and kind of gooey and you can't be a kind of matter-of-fact person and love somebody because it's a little bit too much here and it's all about there, isn't it? And I think... Yes, of course, but it's a, it's a bit of both. And we can fail to acknowledge real love sometimes if it isn't packaged softly, if I can put it like that. Now, at this point, I could spend quite a little bit of time, as I've heard people do before, and it's very interesting to talk about different types of love and all this sort of stuff, but we'll just package that for now because I still just want to think about what does it mean for people, this idea of authentic love. We can talk about romantic love and agape love and all that, different types of love. Let's just talk about how we express love and how people will feel it. What marks of authentic love do we see from Paul beyond the words themselves? And here's a few, I think because of course we've just got his words and if I'm saying actions speak louder what, what do we make of all that firstly and I think this is quite an important thing Paul's words of love are actually written down and sent it's really really easy to say I love you now sometimes it's really difficult but actually it's quite easy to put those words up he wants to communicate something you can say I love you put at the bottom love from it's quite easy to do. But actually writing stuff down, writing a letter like this especially, is an act of love. It's doing something about it. And if you think that's not much of an ask, then can I just ask those of you who ever were children or who have young children around at the moment and think about the amount of effort, the encouragement that was required to get a thank you letter out of the door after you've received a present at Christmas or birthday. Actually, you know, yeah, I was really, I'm really, really grateful for that present. But if only I could send a text, done. That would be, I'm not, it's, it takes time. It takes a bit of love, if I dare say. It takes a bit of care to actually write stuff down. You know, I don't know how else Paul might have done it. You weren't texting in those days. But the idea that it's, you know, it's, it, he went to the extent of actually writing a letter as well as just thinking it. So there's some actions there. Uh, Ruth, uh, my wife here, when before actually we were married, Ruth was living in Jordan, and I was living in this country. And this was before the days of email, because we're that old. And I used to write hugely long letters. And Ruth used to script something back now and again, you know, when she felt obliged to. Um, and um, 
Now, those letters would be... I don't, do we have any? I hope not. Just eye-wateringly embarrassing, I think, if you were to read them today, because they were, at least from me, um, expressions of love and many other things. It was, you know, they were long letters. But that was an expression to Ruth, who really appreciated receiving them, even because she was kind of over there on her own. We were apart, and it made a difference. And there was effort went into that. I really wonder. It would be very interesting to know what would happen these days, because texts can fly across from here to Jordan just like that. Now, I'm not saying that texts are not, or emails are not expressions of love. Of course, they can be, and there can be a lot of work going into them. I'm really sad. I spell my texts absolutely right, and I do it with my email. I can't do sort of shorthand. But there was something about that. That was, there was, it wasn't just, yeah, he, boyfriend's at home, yeah, he loves me. There was regular evidence coming through, unpalatable as it might have been to you at the time, dear. Um, you know, just writing the letter is one thing. The second thing is that the content of Paul's letter isn't just a load of gushing twaddle. You know, notwithstanding what I said about there being sort of 60% is about his personal relationship with them and with others. It's not just, you know, the kind of embarrassing... Not So here we are, 2,000 years later, we can read Paul's letter without embarrassment. You know, 20 years later, you couldn't read it, half a page of that stuff from me to Ruth without me being, everyone being desperately embarrassed, you can just you know, it's just, because it's not just gushing nonsense, it's real valuable stuff in fact it was of such practical and spiritual value, that we are still reading it 2,000 years later my stuff was quite ephemeral you know, but this stuff was of real value, it was intended to be of real value as well, notwithstanding what I said earlier about him worrying whether we'd be reading it 2,000 years later, it was intended to be of real value to them so Paul actually bothered, if I can say that, in the first place. And secondly, he said good stuff that was of actual value to them. And thirdly, of course, although we read that Paul physically just could not get away from Athens. And this might seem like a bit of a cop-up, but I don't think it is. Well, he did the best thing that he then could, which was to send Timothy. And again, that's, you know, a close friend going over. He wanted to have that. In other words, just a, an exchange of papers. Even if the Thessalonians wrote back, he wanted to know. He had his, you know, his ambassador effectively go, go and find out how it's going. Come back and tell me. But Timothy didn't go, as we read in, in verses uh, 2 to 3 of chapter 3 of this, Timothy didn't just go and say, oh, and by the way, Paul sends his love. Timothy went specifically, as we read, to strengthen and encourage the Thessalonians in their faith. That was obviously a very challenging time for them. In other words, that's a practical action. Somebody's coming from Paul to help them because they are really struggling. They're suffering a lot of persecution in the early days of their being a Christian body. Timothy went to strengthen and encourage them in their faith so that no one would be unsettled by the trials they were experiencing. In other words, real practical assistance. Now, it's in this third issue of actually, so Paul actually wrote something, he wrote something of real value, and he sent his friend. Now, the third time around, I beat him hands down, because I used to actually go and visit Ruth in Jordan. So I just want to say that, okay? I didn't send my friend to go and see Ruth, I went myself. Once totally by surprise, which was fun for me at least. Now, what are we about to make of all this? So what does then this passage tell us about authentic love? And how does it help answer this question, which I said a little bit earlier? How will someone know that I, that you, that we really love them? And I think it's as simple as this, really. They will know it 
when we show it. There we are, it rhymes. What could be simpler than that? And I think, for me, in a way, that's the heart of authentic love. They will know it when we show it. But I want to sort of ratchet that up slightly. I'm thinking, that's all very well, okay? They'll know I... Somebody will know, the child, a, a friend, a neighbour, an act of service. They'll, they'll see it and they'll know it. You might have said something, now they know it. I wonder about all those people. Just, I was really struck as Richard was praying for us just before, praying on our behalf, about all those situations and people. They'll never know that we love them, all those individuals, what will some Syrian guy ever know about how I love him? So perhaps, and I want to just ramp it up a little bit, how will God know? Not how will they know, so to speak, that we love them. How will God know that we love? Again, it'll be by what we do. But we shouldn't be satisfied with just thinking about, well, I need to know you, Bob, I can, you, can see, I can, you can know because we know each other. What about those acts of love that God calls of us that the recipient may never know came from us in the first place? May hopefully know one of these days came as a consequence of God's love for them expressed through me or through you. It's a higher challenge, I think. But it's still one grounded on what will we do about it? What will we do about it? We should show love even if the recipient will never know who we came from. Now, let's just finish with this thing which therefore, okay, if we're talking about doing, what does it personally mean for you? I don't know. But I think it does mean, because I've spoken a few times here, but I'm probably more confident than I've ever been in terms of saying that I am right to say that really it needs to be shown. Authentic love needs to be done. So what does that mean to you? What does that mean for you personally? What does that mean for people you know, that, that direct connection? People, your partner perhaps, the person right next to you in your home, your children perhaps, other members of your family. What does it mean for your colleagues? Love them? Sorry, I'm their boss. Or he's my... What does it mean for your colleagues to know love from you? What about your neighbours? Now we could do a little bit of Good Samaritan stuff and say, well, who is my neighbour? Well, just whoever you think they are, actually. Whoever you know, actually, they are. In terms of people who need you to show them love, to do something for them. So think about that. And think about as well, perhaps, the challenge of knowing that you theoretically love them and then perhaps knowing that because you're a Christian they may not share that faith, thinking well, they're supposed to. I know enough to know they're supposed to. Do they see it? Is there something you need to work on there? Is there something you need to work on right at home? Maybe there's not. But always think about it. Just think about the fact that just saying or knowing or ascribing to the concept, saying, yeah, yeah, I love them. Yes. Okay. Show me. Show God. Show yourself. Do it. What about us as a community? St. Paul's Mark was talking before, and it was a fantastic event out here. It's desperate, because this morning I'm thinking, goodness, it was yesterday. But, but that's the kind of, you know, then I'm thinking, what about all those people today? We just had what we had, and that's the thing. I think in life generally, isn't it? Be grateful. Just be grateful. You don't have to compare it with anything. It was a wonderful event. What does that now mean? What is that the start of? 
Because I think of that event with the sun obviously shining on the righteous. just want to say that. Uh, um, it was in part a practical expression of our love for our community. It was in part that. We wanted to have a party, but we actually really wanted to help some really Avenue celebrate. So I said road before, didn't I? We actually wanted to help the street celebrate. And actually, to be perfectly frank, monarchist or Republican, we just wanted to celebrate. Let's get together. Richard was talking again in his prayers about community and also challenge us now. Challenge, I think it was a general challenge, but for ourselves, what does that mean? Does community mean going forward? There was a little bit of a hiatus there yesterday. A special thing was done. Perhaps like that event I was talking about, something we put a lot of effort into now. What about those regular miles? All those steps of practical love that we might show for our neighbours. What about specific individual relationships that have begun as a part of this process, people we met yesterday? What do we do as corporately? Because the street is like that, a bit more aware of us. They've, you know, they've just, we've put ourselves in their way again in a, in a special way. What will that mean? What does that mean in practical terms for us as a church, for individuals as members of it? What will we do or not do now? I don't know, but it is about what we do or don't do that will show our community, and it would be the same for your community if your street is further away as well. What will you do or what will you not do that will express how authentic your love is for them? Now, in terms of those sorts of questions, what are you going to do with your wife? What are you going to do with your street? You know, they're quite different questions. What are we going to do with a church? What am I going to do as an individual? The issue at heart lies, of course, in our hearts. And I think it was Mark last week, this whole idea about how it does come down to the heart. I've hardly mentioned Jesus. I've hardly mentioned God today, but I'm about to finish with that. It's a bit like James in his letter, in fact. Take that as red, shall we? That actually the source of this love, or maybe we shouldn't take this red something now, the sure source of this love, I don't have enough. The source of the authentic love I need to show God's love to those around me is God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we are seeking to actually give authentic love, we need to come regularly to the source of it so we can have enough to give out. Because actually just doing stuff is great. But if it's just doing out of duty, because actually we, of course, do the other thing. We can say nothing and do loads. But if we're just doing the doing, I think after a while we just get tired, perhaps a bit bitter, just a bit worn down, and we have no resources left to keep going. If we have enough love in us to do, well, we need to constantly receive that love. So that's something we're going to take the opportunity to do just now. I want to finish with something that Paul finishes the first part of his letter, the relationships part of his letter to the Thessalonians with in terms of guidance for us, in terms of how we can have enough love to show it authentically to others. He says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everybody else. Let's just not keep it in here. And for everybody else, just as our love does for you.